Welcome to the Liberty Cafe, where oppression is on the menu. Glad you're here with me today for the second episode of the Liberty Cafe. You know, if there's one thing that we have learned over the last month or so, or actually haven't learned, but have been seen reaffirmed, it's that we really live in a fallen world. And one of the things that I've noticed as um, we've we've been through these last four weeks, or actually I haven't noticed again, but it reaffirmed for me, is that we have a real problem with experts in this world. Well, let me actually expand that a little bit and, and also say we have a real problem in the way that we rely on experts in this world. So what I thought I'd do is I'd just kind of like to take everybody through a brief uh, history of experts, some of the problems that we've seen with experts throughout history, and then see if we can apply it to what's going on in the world today. You know, when I, uh, for the last uh, 10 plus years, I had taught uh, a six-week economics program at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, my former employer. It's called Thinking Economically. And and one of the things I promised the interns when we started this, if if they worked diligently to read the lessons, to participate in the discussions, that at the end of uh, those six weeks that they would have a greater understanding of economics than most professional economists out there, most Nobel Prize winning economists, most Treasury secretaries. Uh, How can I say that? Well, I I can say that because, I mean, there's no question that Nobel Prize winners and, and Treasury secretaries are much smarter than the average person. They're smarter than I am. Uh, they have more information uh, at their hands than than I do. Uh, better training, more knowledge of curves, and and all those kinds of things. But what they don't have is wisdom, because they're not listening to God and what He's taught us about creation and how about creation works and how people work, particularly when it comes to markets and 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 trading things. And so they don't understand truly the fundamental basics of economics because they don't believe what the Bible says about it. Or they may be Christians, but they just don't study it well enough. Well, I think we can say that about a lot of experts throughout the ages. And and so let's go back and, and start at Galileo very quickly. So what we've got with Galileo, the the typical story you hear about Galileo today is that he, along with Copernicus before him, made the discovery through the aid of the telescope that the uh, world was not the center of the universe, and in fact that the the Earth uh, orbited around the sun, and that he was fought against by the unscientific believers in the church. Well, in, in fact, just the opposite is really true. When you, when you go back and look at uh, this period of time, remember Copernicus came up with his ideas about uh, the uh, Earth orbiting the sun about 15, the mid-1500s, and Galileo uh, shortly followed after that. 
the opposition to those men didn't didn't come from the church. It came from professional philosophers, as scientists were known at the time, who adhered to and had staked their careers on uh, Plato's geocentric model, which had, of course, nothing to do with the Bible, but it's what uh, Plato had come up with, uh, and it's what this entire school of philosophers had uh, bet their careers on. And they were not happy that... Um, that their careers are being undermined by new science and technology. So they went to the church and used the church to um, slow down Galileo. And it's, it's important that Galileo never got in trouble with the church about saying that the uh, earth orbited the sun. What he got in trouble for was uh, basically arguing against the church and uh, in, in a couple of other ways. But it, but it wasn't the church who was after Galileo. It was non-believing, for the most part, professional scientists who didn't like what the new science had to say. Let's skip uh, forward about uh, uh, three to four hundred years, and uh, two hundred years, two hundred fifty years, and, and get to the time of Charles Darwin. Right. So for throughout history, the church. Up until this point, the church and scientists had believed that in the, the in a young Earth, that you know nobody knew exactly how old the Earth was. Uh, the Bible would give us a picture of about uh, six thousand years from today, but nobody knows exactly how old it is. But but they knew they believed it was young. Uh, scripture teaches us that, but also a lot in um, in the world also uh, teaches us that as well. Well, along came. There was a, a group of people who came along at that time who were just aching to get out from underneath the church. Remember, it was uh, up until about this point in time. It, you know, it varied depending on where you lived, but it was basically professional suicide to go against the church. But Darwin came up with this theory that um, of evolution, right? That basically life came from non-life, and that different species came from other species. And in order to make this whole process work, the earth couldn't be thousands of years old anymore. It had to be, well, at the time, hundreds of thousands of years. More recently, then it became millions, and of course today it's, what, about 16 billion or so. And once that Darwin came up with this theory, everybody jumped on it. For instance, Charles Lyell was a, a was a geologist at the time. He also came along with at about the same time and, and used Darwin and others as cover to come up with this old earth geology, to, to look at the earth and, and say, oh, look, the earth tells us it's old. Uh, but this also happened within the church, too. Uh, Charles Kingley, for instance, was chaplain to Queen Victoria, and he called Darwinism a noble conception of deity. So the world and the church threw out good, sound science and a scriptural reading, but not because the new science showed us anything different, but because they just didn't want to listen to what God had to say. So there's a little backdrop, and uh, l let's get it into a little more modern days and, and talk about the beginning of everything. Well, I said get us in the modern days. We're actually going to go back. Uh, a ways back, but in fact, we're going to go back 16 billion years. Well, of course, we can't go back 16 billion years because 
we haven't been around that long. Nothing's been around that long. But I'm talking about the Big Bang. And of course, uh, that theory has been around for some time where uh, the universe came into being with this explosion of matter that was in an infinitesimally small uh, space and exploded and became what we see today, the Big Bang. But after a while, a, a lot of astronomers and, and related types, cosmologists, started to become very uncomfortable with the Big Bang. Uh, people like Stephen Hawking, Carl Sagan, who clearly are not believers. But they're experts. They're experts, just like Charles Lyell and Charles Darwin were. And they got uncomfortable with the Big Bang because you can't just stop at the Big Bang because if, if you do that, then that would indicate a beginning of the world. And a beginning of the world leaves room for a, a beginner or, or a creator. Right. So they, they, there had to be something for these people behind the Big Bang. And so what scientists have come up with over the years is, is what's known as the singularity. That before the Big Bang, there was this singularity that um, existed before the Big Bang. And in this singularity, out of this singularity, came not just our universe but a lot of universes. The, the concept there is called the multiverse. One, so one of the purposes for the singularity in the multiverse is that, well, we've got something before the Big Bang, so there was no creation. They, they don't really explain what was there before the singularity, but that's okay. But the other reason for it, the multiverse, is that you know, if you look at the process of creating life, through evolution like they want you to look at, it's almost impossible that it could happen, right? In fact, it is impossible. But the odds are so largely against it that even scientists have to say, well, how do we explain this? Well, they explain it by saying our universe is just one of multiple universes, hundreds of thousands of millions of universes. And if you look at the odds of just one of these multiple millions of universes creating life like we have, all of a sudden, the odds have gotten a lot better. But remember, all these experts are coming up with all the ideas about things they can't see, things they can't measure, things they can't know. They're basically making stuff up, right? Uh, and they're making it up so far back, they're making it up even before the Big Bang, where you can't possibly see back into that time, at all. Okay, so there's there's two examples of um, experts and their problems. So now let's let's move a little bit closer to where we are today when it comes to the COVID nineteen and 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 the coronavirus or the China virus, whatever you want to call it, and look at the world of medicine. Of course, um, experts in medicines have had the same problems over the centuries that experts in every other problem area have. And again, let me let me just make sure I, you understand this, that I'm not saying that experts aren't important, that we don't need experts. I'm just saying that experts are wrong, and they're wrong all the time. Not Well, not all the time, but they're wrong a lot of the time. And so when we blindly go about believing everything they say, 
or I think which is more often the case, just using what experts say to support whatever we believe, that causes a lot of problems. And we see the same thing in medicine. You know, for instance, you know, everybody's familiar with medieval medicine and, you know, bleeding, purging, vomiting, those kind of things. Of course, it's it's um, not that far back, though. You know, I mean, you had bleeding and purging and those kinds of things well into the 18th century, if not after that a little bit. And, of course, what we'll say was, well, they just didn't know as much back then. But now we're in the modern days and we, we know better than what they knew back then. Well, in some ways, we we certainly have learned a lot of things, but, but that's really a modern conceit that somehow we know better than everything that they knew in the years before. And let me just point out a few pretty recent medical practices that, that highlight that. One is plumage. I'd never heard of plumage until today, until I started doing a little research for the Liberty Cafe today. But plumage was a way of dealing with tuberculosis and they would put insert lucite balls inside or around the lungs with the purpose of collapsing the lungs and with the thought that if they the lungs were collapsed they would heal more quick quickly well in some cases there maybe seems to have been some uh, benefits out of that but there is also a lot of complications from that as you might imagine and uh, there's even literature talking about the problems of these lucite balls and the complications they cause and how people had to go take them out. Now, this all happened back in the, the 40s, 30s, 40s, 50s, before there was tuberculosis, medicine for tuberculosis. And then it kind of died out. And today, probably nobody has any lucite balls running around in their lungs. But that was just one thing. Uh, lobotomies? How about lobotomies? They used to go around doing lobotomies all the time, thinking that that was somehow a... Um, a beneficial thing for a lot of people. Might there have been some people who benefited from lobotomies? Perhaps, but not nearly as widespread as they uh, were. Now let's go into the modern days, just in the last few years, and think about FinFin, right? That FinFin came out of the medical community from doctors who put these things together. These are experts out there, and you might say, well, these are quack doctors. But they're still doctors, and they're still experts. And even the FDA agreed that they were going to approve FinFin based on just one more little trial. Well, that one more little trial exposed a lot of the problems with FinFin, right? So that that's a history of experts and how experts have gotten it wrong time and time and time again. Well, let's look today at what we're going through when it comes to uh, COVID-19. And, and I just want to start out by reading a quote, a couple of quotes here from Rush Limbaugh. He's talking about this on his show the other day, and he says, the 2.2 million number should never have been used. That was the, the projected number of deaths uh, coming from COVID-19. Then we heard 100,000 to 200,000, and then 240,000, and now this model is down to 81,000. He goes on and says, Yesterday, the model lowered the death projections in Tennessee from 3,000 to 587 and projected the state would need just 16% of the hospital beds in the state for coronavirus victims. 
Across the country, the most recent data from a number of states indicates the number of new hospitalizations has been on the decline for several days, and the hospitalizations are a key number. So what Rush is talking about, and a lot of other people have been talking about too, are these models. And of course, when people are modeling something, again, they're not doing science. Pure science is taking and looking at something as it happens, observing that, um, and based on usually some sort of theory that you've come out about what happens, you propose a theory, you look at what actually happens, and then you say, well, I've, I've uh, proven my theory, or actually well, I haven't falsified my theory. The, the, the data is supportive of my theory. And that's science. Models are not that. Models are just taking a bunch of things that have happened in the past, putting things, things together, and then projecting what's going to happen out in the future. The problem is, with any system, there are so many things that are happening at any one time in the complex human society and in the complex world that we live in, is you can't simply model all the variables out there. So you have to make some assumptions. Because another thing you can't model is how people are going to react to things. When all these kind of modelings, whether it's for economics or or medicine or, or even um, uh, the environment, you know, people react to these things in different ways. And you can't model human reaction. Now, you can try and you can do some of the things, but you're always having to make assumptions. And so no model is any better than the assumptions that go into it. And the assumptions that go into it are based on bias, what people believe and what people think. And even the best experts are going to be biased. And in fact, a lot of experts are biased towards uh, big government uh, and away from liberty because that's the kind of world that they live in. And in fact, that's the type of people who the government is usually given the grant money to to do all these models. Uh, that's clearly the case when we, when we look at global warming for instance, because all the models in global warming over time have just gone crazy. They, they haven't worked. They've just headed towards failure every time. Well, it turns out in this short little microcosm of COVID-19, the models have also gone towards failure every time, and they're having to um, change them all the time. Let, let me read a little bit of this excerpt from this article, uh, Trust the Experts, But Which Ones? Because... All right, so we, we want to trust experts. Maybe that's not always the best idea, but we but then again, which one? Because different experts are saying different things, right? Um, you know, for instance, uh, Dr. Uh, says Steve Deese here, Dr. David Katz of Yale, writing in the noted uh, right-wing science-denying New York Times, is concerned our cure, consisting of mass shutdowns, is worse than the disease. Dr. John Ioannidis of Stanford penned a peer-reviewed study on the harms of exaggerated information and non-evidence-based measures to fight SARS-2 coronavirus. And then Sunetra Gumpta is a professor of theological epidemiology at Venerable Oxford, he writes, and she directly contradicted the now-revised apocalyptic imperial college simulation that spooked her own government into starting these shutdowns. Even the experts can't agree on what how to deal with the coronavirus and the, just the medical experts. 
we've, we've just been fed a lot of bad information. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, families should all of a sudden send their kids back to daycare or public schools, or we should just go right back to the way we were doing all things. There, there is room for caution here. But we need better information than we've had from the medical experts. But it's not just from them. They're only experts in medical field. Most of them are ignorant or incompetent even when it comes to knowledge of economics and governance and, and liberty and what the Bible says about all these things. So even if they're right about how to deal with a corona, coronavirus in a vacuum, which they haven't been in many instances, the, the things that they recommend don't make sense often from a human perspective and don't take into account the human cost in terms of lives and and uh, and poverty across the world, the effects of all those things, right? They just don't make sense. But unfortunately, just too many folks in administration and Congress and the courts today, politicians and experts alike, are, are, are listening to them because they're also wrong about economics and governments and liberty. They, they just don't understand. Of course, none of this would matter if, if we had a biblically-sized government today that protected us from violence and otherwise let us figure out the rest. Basically, if it just did what the Declaration of Independence said, which was secure our rights. But because we have a bunch of experts and elites over time who are convinced that they have known better than we do when it comes to just about everything, they have built a government capable of macromanaging just about everything we do. And since we live in a Republican democracy, Democratic Republic, We've actually let them do it. So thus, we, we have a situation today where the government has destroyed massive amounts of wealth and shut down a significant portion of wealth-producing activity, which is going to have long-term ramifications that we can't even imagine today. So let me just close by saying that, that the good part of all this, though, is, is, is not only can good come from these ramifications. Uh, we know they're going to come from that because God has imagined these ramifications. He's actually designed them, and he is bringing them to pass. So despite all the harmful effects of the actions that our government is taking today, the government and we are all in the hands of a loving God who will bring to pass all these things for our good and his glory. Thank you for joining me today on the Liberty Cafe.